0: This is the Radio Bible Class and I'm your host Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled Confidence in Christ and it comes from Philippians 3, 1 through 6. But before we start our lesson today, WordTalk Inc. could use your support. Now playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648 and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift, Talk Inc. P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website, that's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too, whether that's Spotify or Google or Amazon or iTunes. We're there. We're at all of them. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Well, today we'll pick back up in the book of Philippians and we're in chapter three now. The last month or so, we've been going through the book of Philippians verse by verse, and today we're in chapter three. And I want to start off by asking you a challenging question Are you a rules based Christian? You may think, Tim, why would you ask that question? Well, a survey was done just several years ago on a large pool of Christians, and what came out of that survey was 48% of people believed. That if you are good enough, if you're generally good, if you do enough good things for others, if you follow the Ten Commandments, then you earn your way into heaven. And if you're listening to me today, that should be concerning to you. If almost half of the people surveyed said that you could earn your way into heaven, then there's something wrong with that. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. See, again, right here, the Bible tells us that we have a gift from God, and it's through our faith in God and through his grace that we are saved. And once we're saved, then we start doing works because we understand what God has done for us. But we don't do work so that we earn our way into heaven or to make God love us more. Today we're going to see this little church in Philippi, that's why it's called Philippians, that we've been studying for, like I said, now for about six weeks. There are people coming into the church, they're called Judaizers, and they are trying to get them to be Jews first, and then they can become a Christian. Christianity was born out of the Jewish culture, that's where Judaizers come from, but these Jews are trying to tell now the Gentiles that are being saved that they have to become a Jew, So that they can really be saved. And while we probably don't have people coming into the church today saying that you have to be a Jew first before you're saved, there is a very tight parallel. There are people sitting in our church today that want people to get cleaned up. They want them to get their act right before they start coming to the church. And that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the church should believe. That's not what we as Christians should believe. And not only do you have that going on in the church, but outside the church, you have the world telling people, hey, if you're just good enough, if you just do the good things, if you try to live a good life, if you don't just hurt people, then you can make it into heaven that way. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do the Christian thing. Just be good enough. Be a decent person. And all that will count when you stand before Jesus. So with all that said, turn with me now to Philippians 3. I'll start in verse 1. I'll be reading out of the ESV and we'll read down to verse 6. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh So as I said, Paul is really starting to unload on this church, and he's reminding them, and we see that in verse 1. If you look back, he says, to write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Paul is saying, I've taught you this before. I want to remind you of it again. Don't let people come into your church and teach you something that I haven't taught. So if you look at verse 1 at the very beginning, he does say finally. Now, when he says finally there, he's not wrapping up this letter Now, we're only in chapter 3. There's four chapters. He's kind of like a pastor. You know, sometimes pastors from the pulpit, they just keep saying, and my final thought, and finally, and then my final thing. Let me close with this. They start that about 20 minutes into their sermon, and 20 minutes later, they're still closing. But that's not what he's doing here. He's closing a thought. He's saying, finally, my brothers. So he's closing the thought that he had from chapter 2. And he reminds them to rejoice in the Lord. Remember, I told you in the very beginning as we study this book that it's all about rejoicing in the Lord. It's about finding joy in our salvation. It's finding joy in Christ Jesus. So as I say, he's saying rejoice in Jesus, but beware of people who are putting things on you that are not of God, that I have not taught you. See, we are people of God. We're the ones who rejoice. We have a reason to rejoice. And we don't put our confidence in that that the other people try to tell us to. Back in the first century, Jews thought highly of themselves. They were God's chosen people. And because of that, they put confidence in that and they tried to get people to be like them. But we see that the Bible teaches us, and we'll look at that as we get into Galatians, that we're free from all that. And so as I titled this message today, Confidence in Jesus, that's where we put our confidence. We don't put it in our education. We don't put it in our statue. We don't put it in our our birthright. We don't put it in anything but Christ Jesus. Because without him, we are all sinners that fall short of the glory of God and are headed to hell. We see that Paul's telling them that you don't have to have your confidence in the Jewish culture. But I wonder how many of us today put our confidence in something besides Jesus. Maybe we put our confidence in our job. Maybe we put our confidence in our money. Maybe we put it in our family or or something that we find and rejoice in. And what Paul is telling this church is rejoice in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus, not in the world. So look back now at verse 2 with me. So what Paul is talking about here in verse 2, he says, look out for or beware of and paul lists three things right here and i and i made this for my note takers this is point number one be aware of look out for dogs evildoers religious ritual circumcision those are the things that paul are talking about here and we can learn from that even though this was written back in the first century and because these jews had followed this old testament law for so long They were trying to make a ritual out of stuff. One of the things that we're going to see is that he talks about circumcision. Paul tells plain and clear that you don't have to be circumcised. We are circumcised in the heart. But let me get back on task here. He calls them dogs. And this is a put down. If you see anybody from a third world country... And they come to your house and you have a dog and your dog is in the house. They're going to be like, why? You got a dog in your house. Dogs were the lowest of the lowest. They were scrap eaters. They, they weren't seen like we see them today. Here in America, we think dogs are just a part of the family. And they are. Paul calls these Judaizers dogs. And that is a huge put down. As a matter of fact, in those days, that's probably the worst thing that you could call somebody was a dog. And then he talks about the evil workers. Those are the ones that are actually going around and teaching stuff that is not what Jesus taught. They're taking the Old Testament law and they're putting it on with Jesus. And so they're saying that just believing and having faith in Jesus and letting him be your Lord and Savior is not enough. You've also got to do this other stuff. And then he talks about mutilation. And this is specifically around the rite of circumcision and we'll go into that a little later, but all I'm going to say is that circumcision is not required for salvation. All of these are about works. They're about you doing something for your salvation. And if you turn with me to Galatians 2, verses 14 through 16, I want to read that to you real quick. Galatians 2, 14 through 16. So verse 14, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through the faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Right here, Paul is telling the church at Galatia that you don't have to do the stuff of Jews, that even the Jews have to be justified in Christ. And so I get it. I really do. These people here have been Jews for so long And now they have these new converts and how do I teach them? I teach them what I know. But I want you to understand that the Bible wasn't written at that time and you had the disciples that were now taking what Jesus had taught them and they were building out the church. The church is in its infancy stage. I mean, it only seems natural that they would have followed the same rules. But Paul strictly warns the Philippian church, don't let these people come into your church and put the old laws upon you. You're not a Jew, and therefore, you don't have the history of the Old Testament, and you don't need it anyway. It's not about that. That was an outward sign that was a covenant between Abraham and God. But now we have Jesus Christ who went to the cross and died on the cross, and that's where we put our faith. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, and his sacrifice covered your sins. And your sins are washed white as snow when you believe on Jesus Christ and you believe on his finished work on the cross. By saying you have to do other things means that Jesus didn't do enough. If you turn to the book of Acts chapter 15, right there in verse one, it says that there was some men that came down from Judea that were teaching that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. But after Paul and Barnabas had heard about this and debated with them, It was decided that everyone would go back to the council. They would go back to Jerusalem, and there the elders would answer this question. The apostles and the elders, and we see in this chapter the outcome of that. Actually, I'll start in verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by mouth of the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore the witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear?" But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. What Peter says right here is that, hey, I saw this. I was on a rooftop. Jesus spoke to me in a dream and he said, don't call unclean what I call clean. I want you to go down and I want you to witness to these Gentiles. And Peter goes down and the house is saved. Not only are they saved, but the Holy Spirit comes on them. They speak in tongues just like they did. And what Peter is saying is that I saw this firsthand. And so why are we putting a yoke upon them that even we couldn't keep? And we believe that we are saved through the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are too. So what does this mean to you and I? Even today, there are people, now they're not Judaizers, that attempt to put a yoke of bondage upon us as Christians regarding the law. You'll find those people. I assure you they are in your church. I assure you there are Christians that you talk to that will tell you that you have to follow a certain way. You have to do certain things. They exist. See, we're not justified by the works of the law of the church. We are justified by Christ and him alone. He is our salvation. I don't want to turn this study in Philippians into a study of Galatians, but Galatians is clear on this. And I would ask you to go read Galatians. Galatians 1.6. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church at the very beginning. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul is telling the church as he writes this letter to the Galatian church, I'm surprised that you turned so quick to these Judaizers. Paul is telling them to stay true to the gospel of Christ. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone, not in works. Galatians six twelve. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So what Paul's saying right here in this verse, Galatians six twelve, and what he's really saying, the crux of the matter for the Philippian church is that The dogs of the world want the Philippians to be circumcised because those that were not circumcised would be persecuted. Basically, be like us or you're going to be persecuted. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like our culture today? The world is telling the church, be like us. Do whatever we do so that we won't persecute you. And unfortunately, a lot of churches are falling for this. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are falling for this. And we are called to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be separate. The world is telling you, if you don't want to be persecuted, then you dress like me. You talk like me. You live like me. And what I want you to walk away from here today is understand that the dogs of this world, the dogs in the church, will do everything they can to try to put you into the bondage of things that are not of Christ. Matthew 7, 6 says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before sign, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. So are you a rules-based follower? Or do you follow Jesus Christ? Do you follow him and let the Holy Spirit lead you in the areas that need to be sanctified? There's nothing wrong, again, with following the commandments. I'm not telling you to throw the Bible out. Jesus even said, if we love him, that we'll follow his commandments. But the problem is, we've turned that into a religious right. We've turned that into a bunch of do's and don'ts. And the Bible says that we're free from that. We live under grace. I have to move on. Let's look at verse 3. For we are the circumcised who worship God in the Spirit. Paul tells the Philippian church that we are the circumcised notice first he says that circumcision is mutilation he said that in verse two then in the very next sentence what does he say we are the circumcision see circumcision was defining an outward example and it was about someone's piety it was about being a jew but the new testament teaches us that we now have circumcision of the heart romans 2 29 but he is a jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Right there in Romans, Paul says that we are circumcised in the heart. It's no longer about an outward appearance. In the Old Testament, it was about an outward act. If you kept the outward, then you were good with God. But in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and he turns it up a notch. And now we see that the circumcision is no longer an outward thing, but it's inward. It's allowing God to change our hearts, not just what we do. Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. But what the Bible is saying is that an outward faith avails nothing, but a faith that is rooted and grounded in spiritual things and in the heart Is worship and we are following the Spirit and we are living with Christ and we are saved through Christ. It is about Christ and it's not about an outward act. In John chapter 4 and verse 23 and 24, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and he says in verse 23, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, not about a bunch of outward acts. What the Bible is teaching us is the fulfillment of what Jesus spoke of, a heart of worship that was fathered-centered, demonstrating the heart turns toward God, not merely outward, but inward. And in the Old Testament, people didn't worship in the spirit because they didn't have the Holy Spirit at that time. So they were unable to worship in the spirit. And this is the promise that we have of God, that He would dwell within us. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And what we need to understand is with a new heart and a new spirit, we can worship in the spirit. Mere outward changes aren't enough. It is now about a circumcision of the heart, cutting away the things in our spirit and in our heart that aren't for God and of God. You know, I would say this is the reason why some people struggle with worship. I hate to say it, they're probably not saved. They don't get it. They don't understand it. When you get saved and the Spirit comes to live in with you, then you don't struggle to worship in spirit and truth. I know some of you are out there going, hey, I don't believe in all the hand raising and the speaking in tongues and we won't even get into that all i'm going to say is you can worship in spirit and truth and never raise your hands you can worship in spirit and truth and never sing a song it is a worship from inside of you and it is you worshiping god in a way that you are able to speak to god and god fulfills that spirit and that spirit is in you i would challenge you today if you never let god circumcise your heart today is the day Worship him in spirit and truth. If you haven't allowed the Lord to circumcise your heart, you're not living. Pray. Ask the Lord to come into your heart. Ask him to be Lord of your life. Truly mean that. And the Holy Spirit will come in and he will circumcise your heart. And you pray if you've done that. Lord, help me circumcise my heart. Let me see the areas that are part of piety, a part that I think I'm better. Show me areas that are worldly that I need to get rid of that don't bring glory to you. If you say that prayer and you really mean it, then you fulfill what Deuteronomy 36 says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your life. So Paul first tells them that be careful of the evildoers, be careful of the Judaizers, be careful of those that mutilate. And now he turns it up a notch by saying that we are the circumcised. And then he puts these Judaizers in their place, starting in verse 4. He says, I might have confidence in the flesh. No one should have more confidence in the flesh than me. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am out of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Pharisee, a Pharisee. I have zeal. I persecuted the church. I had all the righteousness and I lived the law blamelessly. No one lived better than me. And I'm telling you that it's all wrong. Paul wants this church to understand. He wants us to understand that I've got the outward appearance. I've got the bloodline. I towed the organizational line. I followed the corporate rule. I followed every rule. Look at me and see that this is what religious followers look like. And then he just hits them. But he says, my confidence is where? My confidence is in Jesus Christ. It's not in who I am. It's not in my bloodline. It's not in my organizational. It's not in my rule following. It's in Jesus Christ. It is in my circumcised heart. It's not in my outward flesh. The New Living Translation tells us in Romans 3, that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. It doesn't matter if you are just like Paul, or if you are the worst person that ever lived. What that verse right there says is that if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are made right with God, no matter who we are. And Paul tells these folks in verse 4, 5, and 6, that very thing, that this is the one card I play, that I'm made right through Jesus Christ. You know, it's no different in today's language. I grew up in the church. My parents were church-believing, church-going Christians. I served in my church. I attended services. I tithed. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I really didn't steal that much. I was a good kid, but I was lost until I accepted Jesus as my life. My confidence isn't in who I was born and what family I was born into. It wasn't that I grew up in the church. It wasn't that I served in the church. It wasn't that I was a deacon in the church. It wasn't that I tithed in the church. My card that gets me into heaven is that my complete confidence is in Jesus Christ. That he is the one who saved me from my sins. He is the one that washed my sins whiter than snow through his blood. And as I close today, I want you to understand that's where our confidence comes from. It's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him that summarizes it all. Jesus, who knew no sin, became and took on our sin for us that we may be able to stand righteous in front of God, a holy God. We're able to stand in front of him and all he sees is Jesus's blood. He sees Jesus. He doesn't see us. He doesn't see our messed up lives, our broken lives. You know, the gospel means good news. But to have the good news, there has to be bad news. And the bad news, Romans 3.23 tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us is righteous. No, not one. We've all fallen short. But the good news is right there. That Jesus, who knew no sin, took on our sin that we might become righteous and stand before a holy God without blame, without punishment. He took away the wrath of God, because he bore it on the cross for us. And today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I pray today that you will. If you have accepted Jesus as Lord of your life, I pray today that you understand it's not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's that we wake up every day. We understand that it's not about us, that our confidence isn't in us, that it's in Jesus Christ. So let me ask the final question again. Are you a Christian rule follower? Or do you walk confidently in your relationship with Jesus? Do you know that you're going to heaven? Do you know that your life will be blessed by God because you put your trust in God and you do what God leads you to do versus doing what you want to do? See, it's not about us. It's about Christ. Our confidence is in Christ. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and I thank you for this lesson. Lord, I thank you for this letter that you inspired Paul to write to this church at Philippi. Lord, even though we're not in the first century, Lord, I know that there are people today that are just like these Judaizers. They're trying to put yokes of bondage on us, and that we are free through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, and we are free indeed. Lord, I pray for the ones that showed up today and They're living their life trying to read the Bible more and pray more and and do more good things. And while that's important and while that's all good, Lord, that they don't lose focus that our confidence is in Jesus Christ and it's not in our works. That our salvation produces works and our works doesn't produce salvation. Lord, I pray for the divine appointment for the one that you sent today that's listening to this message. Lord, that's never accepted Jesus as their Lord. Lord, maybe they've gone to church. Maybe they're a deacon in the church. Maybe they're a tithe in the church. But they've never accepted Jesus as Lord of their life. Maybe they grew up in a Christian home like I did. Lord, I pray today that they will truly understand that they are lost. and They are going to hell unless they pray and they accept you as Lord of their life. It's not about what they do. Even though those are important things, it's about accepting you as Lord and serving you as Lord. Lord, right now I pray that they would just ask you to be Lord of their life. They would believe on your finished work on the cross and they will commit to follow you. Lord, right now we just thank you for all the many blessings you give this ministry. Lord, I pray for everyone that listens to this lesson, Lord, that you will just give them a blessed week. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.